As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 1. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. 2. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. 3. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Baseball show, new week, Monday, November 20th. Unique location for myself, unique location for Peter Apple as we talk Aaron Nola and we talk breakout pitchers of the 2023 season. I've got a shout out that's not baseball related. You have a story that you have to go back uh, way into the logs of baseball to uh, resurface for our audience. But before all that, we're brought to you by... BetMGM, the king of sports books. Why don't you just sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android, or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. And then if that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. And terms and conditions apply. Do you want to start with your shout-out or this hilarious tweet that I thought the audience of the Just Baseball show would appreciate. We can start with mine because it's not baseball related, and then we can get to the baseball stuff. Uh, And that includes a seven-year, $172 million deal for Aaron Nola. But um, I've been in the Dominican Republic since Friday and uh, caught a game in La Romana on Friday. I saw Toros del Este against uh, Tigres de Lice, who's like, you know, kind of the big titan of the Caribbean. And um, Lice was uh, one of the two teams that played at City Field, uh, which was great. I saw Miguel Andujar play. I saw Francisco Mejia play. Um, and, uh, oh, man, there were, there were a couple journeyman lefties that started. I'm blanking on the names. But really bad weather in the DR Saturday and Sunday. So both the games that I was scheduled to go to got rained out, went to lunch on Sunday and they were playing in Santo Domingo 
the field hockey national championship between North Carolina and Northwestern. North Obviously. Carolina won. Do you know the deal with Aaron Matson, the head coach of North Carolina field hockey? Oh, yeah. I mean, him and I go way back. She, Aaron okay. Matson, <laughs> Aaron Matson won four national championships as a player at North Carolina. <laughs> she graduated this past May. So in May, North Carolina, a month later, hired her to be the head coach of North Carolina field hockey. So right after graduation, she became the youngest head coach in division one college athletics, men's or women's and wins a national championship in her first year. She's 23 years old, has four national championships as a player and one as a head coach. Okay. I thought this was going to be the classic Jack maneuver. It's the off season hashtag off season content that was cool, but not that cool. That's fucking awesome. That's that is awesome. crazy. Four national championships as a, four national championships as a player. You're immediately leave school. You're immediately hired as the head coach, and you win another national. It's like your entry level job upon graduation was the head coach of the best field hockey program in the country, where you were the best player in NCAA field hockey history. Wow, it's like it's if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like instead of going to the NBA just immediately started coaching UCLA and then won a national championship. He was like, hey, better. like John Wooden was like, you're my successor right now. <laughs> it's like, let's do it. So that was nuts. But now baseball. Let's continue the offseason content here on the Just Baseball Show. So this is from Baseball History Nut. At Nut underscore history, a phenomenal Twitter account to follow. It gives you all the old school baseball stuff. And I just laughed out loud when I saw this tweet from them and I had to share it. So Hall of Famer Ed Walsh used to lick the baseball to throw his spitball. So Connie Mack had his ball boy cover their game ball in horse manure, resulting in Ed licking horse shit and vomiting all over the mound. I just have so many questions. First, are you that big of an idiot that you're not looking at the ball and you just Lick it because it says he used to lick the baseball to throw his spitball. First of all, that's weird instead of just spitting in your hand and then putting that on the baseball. But to not glance at the baseball where there's horse shit on it, not to be able to feel it. And then just that maneuver by Connie Mack. What a move. Imagine, That's a great move. You know, you know when uh you remember when Joe Musgrove had his shiny ears, or oh, yeah. in every playoffs, there's a guy with his spin rate up 200 RPMs, and the opposing fan base is saying, Well, he's cheating. Imagine if you get caught cheating because the opposing manager made put you shit on the baseball. Yeah. Made you literally eat shit. <laughs> made you literally eat shit. Connie Mack made Ed Walsh a Hall of Famer. Like, you should know better. A Hall of Famer. Eat shit. That's why Connie Mack is the GOAT. That, that, yeah, they're both had Hall of going, that had me going so many different directions in terms of how, why, when, where, what. Unbelievable. Those are two chess players in a world full of checker broke boys. Absolutely. Should we talk about Aaron Nolan now? Yes. Seven years, $172 million to stay with the Philadelphia Phillies. The word around town on the social media front was there were more lucrative offers on the table, and the ripple is here. I think that Nola was the first big domino to fall 
and Atlanta is going to strike very soon because apparently, according to some, I think Nightingale was the first one in his little Sunday morning notebook. But um, according to some, Atlanta was very hot on NOLA. And now that NOLA is off the table, Sonny Gray is priority one for them. And I think Sonny could sign with Atlanta very soon. But the, the contract is very par for the course. It's a true seven years. There's no player option. There's no club option. It's nope. just seven years. You just signed the biggest deal for a pitcher in Philly's franchise history. Um, is there a no trade clause? I think there is a no trade clause. No trade clause. Everything basically that you would want as a player, Aaron Ola got it, including the seven years, $172 million. And it's reported that he turned down other offers that were more lucrative in order to stay with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I always love perusing, um, you know, Braves Twitter when a Phillies guy signs, especially when, you know, Braves. They already don't like us. Come on. They they go crazy. They're so funny, though. They were making these memes where it was like uh, like you have Ozzie Albies and Ronald Cooney Jr. on one side. It's like when a Braves player decides to stay and take less money. It's like, oh, Alex Anthopoulos masterclass. They got, you know. They got they so got hosed, sucked. they got fleeced. They yeah. got, and then on the Philly side is like, what a guy, so loyal. And I did think it is an interesting um comparison to make there, but I'm very glad that Aaron Nola stayed with the Philadelphia Phillies. He just seems like a Philly for life. They couldn't let him go. And yeah, is it expensive? Sure. But at the same time, he is second in innings since 2018 to Garrett Cole. He is one of the true workhorses in Major League Baseball. Now you could say, well, he's home run happy. You know, when you throw that many innings and that many balls in the zone, some are going to exit the ballpark. We have a complicated relationship with Aaron Nola because there's a side of the aisle that thinks he's a true ace, and then there's a side of the aisle that thinks he's a number three starter when you just look at his ERA. I think he's right there in between. He's had some blow up playoff starts, but he's also had some amazing ones. That's what happens when you're consistently in the brightest moments. And that's what Aaronola is. And that's what he'll continue to do for the Phillies. It's hard to find a guy where you can say, all right, before the season starts, we're going to get 180 innings out of you. I can only count on maybe two hands, the pitchers that can do that. And with the increasing injuries, I know you're giving me that face. I agree with the increasing injuries. It might be just on one hand. Dude, I was going to say one hand, like, okay, Sandy was on that list, but Sandy's missing all the next year with TJ. So it's, it's, it's Cole. Nola, it's Garrett Cole, it's Barrios. Yep. It's like, Barrios. I'll tell 100% you which, it's Barrios. I'll tell you which <laughs> one I want first and which one I want last. And Aaron Nola happens to sit right in the middle. Although don't disrespect Jose Barrios. I love him. He's one of Nola is one of the few examples of guys that should be paid based on their availability. I think that the difference between Snell and Nola is so drastic, yet they're going to come in at very similar price points. Why? Because they do very different things, but they each kind of get to the same place when it comes to, I don't know, just like value accumulation. And I'm just talking off the dome, so I don't know if the wars are eerily similar or anything like that. But if you were to say, okay, rank starting pitchers in Major League Baseball when it comes to value, since 2018, let's say. I bet you Aaron Nola and Blake Snell are very close together on that list. And one I bet guy you Aaron Nola's ahead. Maybe. And one guy throws a billion innings 
And the other guy, tight ropes. And yes, he had a 2-2-5 this year. Yes, he's got multiple Cy Youngs. But man, there's something about starting 32 times every single year since 2018. And that's how Nola got paid. And I place so much value in availability. So this is a win for durability. It's a win for availability. Uh, And frankly, it's a win for team identity in Philly. Yeah, no doubt about it. So Aaron Nola finished the year with a 3.9 F4. Blake Snell finished at 4.1. Okay, so very close. I'm telling you, they just get there in very different ways. Snell had a 2.25. What was Nola's ERA? It was low fours, mid fours? Four four six, but it's so okay. Funny. It's no, but it's here's like, the thing, man. Snell was two runs better, and yet point two wins above replacement better. Yeah, it has a lot to do with FIP, obviously, because Blake Snell set walk records and fielding independent pitching, taking walks into account. Does not like Blake Snell as much as he like Aranola. Dude, but I don't the, like Blake it, Snell as much as Nola. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's always a tough one for me because I think Blake Snell is much more dominant but i have more faith like going forward into next year blake snell has this amazing year last season what is he going to do this year with nola i feel like at least i'm going to get a four era in 180 innings with snell i cannot guarantee the innings and he's had worse seasons than that so nola what they are paying for is dependability and you can again count on one hand the pitchers that you pay for that. He's going to end his career Philly. I like it personally. Was it a little rich for my taste? Yes, but I'm sick of getting surprised by the contract values anymore. I said it in the car. We uh, we were driving back from Lexington, and I'm like, oh, I think this guy's going to get this type of contract. And both you and Arms say, no way. And I'm thinking to myself, guys, we did this last year. Jamison Tyon got $70 million. Tywin Walker got $70 million. It's just the way that it is. So whenever you're you're thinking logically about a guy getting a contract, just add $30 million. And that's probably what he's going to get. And maybe more than that. Yeah, It's dependent on the market, I will say. Last thing for me on Nola, do you think he scanned the market? I know I know this happens in NBA free agency. A lot of guys will look and see where they can be the number one option or where they can be the number two option. And chances are the pickings are slim. So you got to settle for the best situation to be the number two option. And I'm wondering with Nola, did he hit the open market thinking that he was going to sign somewhere as the ace and the opening day starter? I if think he, he did. If he I think did, the like, way he was being like measured contract value wise is yeah. he is an ace, right? He's 30 years old, just signed a seven-year, $172 million deal by taking less money to go to the Phillies. There is clearly teams out there who, who view him as an ace or at least so dependable that they're willing to fork over the extra millions. Yeah. I'm saying fork over a couple extra million. I'm like, no, in this market, maybe extra 10 to 15. Right. I wonder if any offer eclipsed 200. I would doubt it. I bet the the tallest offer was probably in the 190 range. But for him to take 172 is is great, obviously, for the Phillies and great for Aaron Nola's bank account. Um, But I'm wondering, like, Hey, 
and I don't know who the other suitors are. And I hope it comes out in the next couple of days so I can, you know, really understand, you know, who, who they are, what type of situation he could have walked into. But the only other suitor we fully know is Atlanta. Was he going to start opening day in Atlanta? Absolutely not. It was going to be Freed or Strider. And for the remainder of this contract, Strider was the opening day starter. Do you think he cares? Do you think he cares whether he's the one or the two after you've, you know, had a full career? I'm not a full career, obviously, but do you think it matters to him if somewhere he's going to be the number two and make 172 million or be the one? I I don't know if he cares. I could see it as a reliever, right? If I'm getting paid, he'll be a closer. Yeah. I don't care where I'm at in the rotation. I don't think that Nola does either. And I think he showed that it doesn't matter by taking less money and still being the two behind Wheeler. So I think that there are echelons to it. Um, and if if I were a perennial all-star, fringe all-star pitcher like Aaron Nola, um, and I was a guy that you know many around the league could consider an ace and a frontline guy and a guy that can start on opening day, I think I'm approaching free agency like this. Okay, where are my opening day starter options? Where are my true ace options? Oakland. Once those go away, yeah, exactly. <laughs> once those go away, once they don't add up, where am I most comfortable as a two? Yeah. And the answer was clearly Philly. That's where he's grown up. He couldn't go to the Braves. No way he was ever going to the Braves. Okay. That a just, $20 million difference says otherwise. That would have put, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like he yeah. took less. Like there were, I, when I heard those reports, I was like, that would be the shocker of all shockers. Could I see him going west to the Dodgers or the Giants? Absolutely. Could I see him going to an American League East team like the Yankees or the Red Sox? Absolutely. He ain't going to Atlanta. Those two teams hate each other too much. It's kind of like the same thing where, you know, when Johnny Damon was a Yankee and became a Red Sox, like that was just almost forbidden at that time. Like you just don't see that often, Jacoby Ellsbury, but Phillies Braves, I think it's the best rivalry right now. You could consider Houston uh, and Texas Rangers as well. But those two teams going at it, there was no shot he was ever going to be a Brave. Can I just say the report from Morosi, I think, immediately following that they were hot on Sonny Gray after Nola signed, had me dreaming of a front three of Freed, Strider, Sonny next year in Atlanta with that offense. I'm obsessed. Three completely different pitchers. I'm and in the best way. I'm obsessed. No, but what I'm saying is that gives you so many different looks, which yeah. is so hard to time up in like a three game set. Right? You got Freed the lefty throwing 95, which is a breaker from hell. You got Strider with 100, and then you got Sunny Gray sinker sweeper two seamer. All these different pitches just going in and out. Like those three different looks is perfect and you know the Braves are cooking right now considering Alex Anthopoulos has traded everyone who can pitch in the minor leagues away hold on hold on the five for one that went down this weekend that we didn't talk about I don't think we need to spend much time on it but it was Aaron Bummer for Mike Soroka Jared Schuster three more Braden Shoemake Shoemake there were two more yeah the Braves won that Let's be real. Let's be real. How do we know? How do we know? (laughs) We don't know. But what I will say is I would rather have Aaron Bummer than all of those. I mean, and, you know, Braves fans were like, oh, we lost this one. What is Alex Anthopoulos doing? Oh, Nicky Lopez was in it. (laughs) Nicky Lopez was in it. That's the that's the steal of the trade. 
Braves fans, what do we know by now? Are we going to start doubting Alex Anthopoulos? Is that what we're going to start doing? Are we going to start doubting him? No, thank you. I picked the Braves winning. Ty goes to the Ty goes to Alex Anthopoulos. <laughs> Ty goes to Alex Anthopoulos. I mean, do you think he has no idea what he's doing? He traded he all, knows, all those guys. You think, I think he has he knows no exactly idea what, so- what he's doing? But let me just say, and Bummer Bummer is going to go to the Braves and be one of the best relievers in baseball. And dude, that's not even a hot take. His FIP to ERA discrepancy was like a trillion because the White Sox defense was downright horrible. How many times, Jack? As a White Sox fan, did Aaron Bummer give up a slow grounder to third, and you got Yohan Moncada just coming in and zipping it in for an error, right? It was every game. It was they never play defense for the guy. He is disgusting. He has the possibility of being one of the best relievers in the game. I truly believe that. Dude, I I know it. I White Sox fans know it, too. And this guy was a ground ball gremlin. I mean, he... He has a bowling ball that I think is similar to Gratterall, and it's not 102, but like Britain. Yeah, pretty much. And he learned it, I think, from Britain. I there was a great story in the Athletic. I think James Fegan wrote it when he was still at the Athletic, and it was Aaron Bummer learning the the no, he was watching Britain on TV in like a Chili's in the minor leagues and was like, I gotta learn how to do that. And that's when he kind of discovered his turbo sinker and he turned into a ground ball machine. So, um, so the two for 20 at Chili's is what made Aaron Bummer this great of a reliever? I think so. Chili's or Applebee's. Don't quote me on the Chili's thing. But Have you ever, have you ever had the quesadilla burger from Applebee's? No, that sounds like it's 1,800 cows minus the fries. Oh, so many calories and so good. Dude. I tried making a quesadilla burger at my house. Dank. Tortilla instead of the bun. Try it at home, ladies and gentlemen. Make everything as you would, but instead of using a bun, try tortilla. It's phenomenal. Applebee's, shout out Applebee's. Shout out Applebee's. Great drink deals in college at, at the yeah. local Applebee's. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> that's that's off season content for you. We're talking about how to make a quesadilla burger. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm huge into food TikTok and food Instagram though. I try cooking, and the off season is, is our chance to cook. Um, no, we that, also that's, that's my favorite content. You know, if if I start missing all my picks. Um, or my takes just start going real bad. I'm going to become a chef. Yeah, I love cooking. Yeah, dude. I mean, you chef up the steak big time. Um, speaking of cooking, we cooked up five pitchers in each league. Yeah, that's called a transition. What Peter. a transition. No, we, we fucked it up. We could have just went with it. And you see my face. I'm like, ooh, what a transition. No, it's only good if you acknowledge that it was good. It was great. I thought it was fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we cooked up five <laughs> pitchers in each league uh, in terms of who broke out, I think, to the the largest scale this year. So these are our breakout pitchers of the year. Five from the AL that Peter grabbed, five from the NL that I grabbed. We've got a bunch of like tweeners, honorable mentions. We'll go through those at the tail end, just kind of rapid fire. Hey, what do you define as a breakout? That kind of thing. Um, but I figure we might as well just, volley back and forth you start with an american league guy i go with a national league guy so on and so forth so it was your first al breakout i also want to make a point before we start um because you know we're limited to five i have five jack has five and there's always commenters that say well what about this pitcher what about this pitcher while we are limited to five i looked at your favorite pitcher and decided he didn't make this list so it's not going to be like oh yeah he was also very good nope your favorite pitcher stunk. This is the perfect five. Now, of yep. course, there's plenty of guys to name 
of course, and we're going to talk about them on future episodes. We're still playing GM with every team. We're still going to go through everybody. So every pitcher who did well this year and broke out is going to get their shine. I pulled five from the American League. Jack pulled five from the National League. And you know what we do on the Just Baseball Show. If you think that we're going to limit it to just five, you're crazy. So I'll start with, I think, the ultimate breakout this season. Kyle Bradish of the Baltimore Orioles was a rocket ship. In 2022, the guy had a 4.89 ERA. In 2023, 2.83. So what did he do? Well, he dropped the four-seam usage by 20%, and that usage fell more and more as the season progressed, right? We talked about this in the early parts of the season. He's got a sinker. He's got a slider. He's got a curveball. He's got a changeup. Use those. Get rid of the fastball that opponents are hitting 313 against. This season, he did drop the fastball usage, and opponents still hit 366. And there's a quote from Bradish of kind of what led to this breakout. Being able, and I quote, being able to pitch off these breaking balls with how good they were, that's been huge. Those are my two main weapons, and I've been able to throw those more for strikes. Kyle Bradish recorded the highest run value on breaking balls in all of Major League Baseball at plus 25. Stuff plus. It's a pitch modeling statistic on fan graphs. It grades the characteristics of all of your pitches. Among all pitchers, Kyle Bradish finished second just behind Corbin Burns, ahead of guys like Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole, and Dylan Cease. The 171 stuff plus grade on the slider was the highest of any pitch in Major League Baseball. So for Kyle Bradish, what turned him from decent five-starter into legitimate ace was a pitch usage tweak. He stopped throwing his fastball, which was not generating whiffs. It was only generating hard contact. Started throwing his slider even more, sinker more, changeup more, curveball more. Those four pitches he can work off of without throwing the fastball. Expect next year for him to cut that fastball usage even more and continue to build off these incredible breaking balls, which he now has two elite ones, but he's also going to his sinker, which is actually a higher velocity than his four-seamer. Yeah, so not too long ago, I think it was between the 2021 and 22 seasons, or it was 2020 and 21, I'm blanking, Logan Webb took that leap by adjusting his arsenal and by adjusting his pitch usage. Now, Logan Webb was you know, way better than Bradish was before Bradish made this move. Um, I'd say the leap is far more drastic for Kyle Bradish. But I ask you the question, do you think it's sustainable relying on the slider that much? Like It's really hard when you are most often used pitch is not a four-seamer or a sinker. It's really hard to get through days like that. Um, do you think that Bradish can be a frontline guy? Or do you think it's, hey, Grayson Rodriguez and Bradish can settle into being a three? Do I think that he puts up a 2.83 ERA again? Probably not, right? We're looking at an expected ERA at 3.82. But do I think he can be a mid-threes guy? Absolutely. Right. But he was never meant to be the frontline ace of this team. But I still think that he is an outside shot because the reason I think that is there are still adjustments to be made. And you could say, well, a slider being his most used pitch is not the best recipe. Right. But we've seen guys have great careers 
while throwing their off-speed pitch more than any other pitch, right? A guy like Charlie Morton has thrown what seems like two decades by basically throwing his curveball upwards of 58% of the time. Kyle Bradish's slider is his most used pitch, but it's only 31.2%. And if he didn't have anything hard right, it was the four-seamer, and then he just had breaking balls, I'd be a little bit more concerned. But the sinker, he's averaging 95 off it, and opponents only hit 230 this year against it. So that's the hard pitch, right? So if you're throwing your sinker more, you throw your fastball less, and the slider and the curveball and the changeup maintain what he's been doing, there's even room for improvement. So do I think that he is a frontline ace? We should expect an ERA under three going forward? No. But do I think he's better than even the 382 expected ERA would tell us? Yes. I would put his ERA next year, if I was predicting, like a line, three and a half, which is a great pitcher. If he gives you a three and a half ERA at 180 innings next year, I mean, sign me up. The Phillies just paid seven years, 172 for a guy who had a 446 at 30 years old. Like Cobb Radish, if I'm an Orioles fan, I am fully buying into. I think this guy is excellent. Yeah, the way I view Bradish, I think moving forward is very similar to the way that I view Mitch Keller now after this year. And Bradish had, you know, an ERA a run better than Mitch Keller. But Keller was flirting with 200 innings. He was over 200 strikeouts. Mitch Keller had a good year. He had an all-star caliber season. I think that Bradish and Keller can be in a very similar conversation. And I think if you took out Bradish and plopped Mitch Keller into this Orioles rotation, we're, we're talking about him as as a great arm moving forward. So I, I do think that you need to start taking Bradish seriously as a two moving forward. And you're hoping that Grayson Rodriguez can become an ace because, you know, he probably has the better pitch mix. Um, my first NL guy, I think if Bradish isn't the breakout in the big leagues, Justin Steele was. And we had expectations for Steele, surely. Were they lofty? Maybe. He had an ERA in the low threes. He threw 110 innings in 2022. Were you expecting him to have an ERA just over three in 170 innings in 2023? Yeah, Absolutely. obviously I did. Dude, <laughs> a friend of the program, Justin Steele, but yeah, no we do it. Shots. Oh, no come shot. On. Come on. <laughs> Justin Steele was third in the National League in ERA this year, only behind Blake Snell and Kodai Senga, the Mets. He had a 318 and 22, 60 more innings this year, had a 306. He was third in wins behind Strider and Gallon. This guy was on the hill for seven innings with a two-pitch mix, and he was shoving it up opponents. You know what? He was so much fun to watch this year because it was flick the glove forward or flick the glove to the side. I know that the four-seamer at 92 is coming or the slider is coming, and dude, he was untouchable this year. He surpassed all the expectations I had for him. Does he remind you of a certain pitcher, um, lefty that was on the Cubs, dating back early 2010s? No, um, because Lester came with so much track record, and like Lester how... had more of a mix. No, I like how we both came to the same conclusion there. That's that's just kind of who I imagine this year Justin Steele turned into was John Lester in those just great years with the Chicago Cubs. But you're, I agree with you. They're they're not exactly the same, but man, Justin Steele throwing a fastball 62% of the time and dominating the way he did without being in the upper echelon of velocity. 
was so impressive. The command is just, I mean, it's top of the line for any pitcher in Major League Baseball. And, you know, some nerds will point to some expected stats and be like, hey, he's going to slow down a little bit, right? Velocity wins in this league if he could just have like a really tough year. And the more I think about it, there are anomalies, I think, in Major League Baseball. And I think that Steele's ability to work both sides of the corners is not something you're going to find in, in most pitchers, right? There will be days where the command isn't there and, you know, he's a little bit more hittable. But it's clear, like, these guys, they just don't see it out of the hand, right? There's no reason why you should be getting blown away by 91, but they are, right? There's no reason that these sliders, right? They're not Aaron Bummer sliders, but they're making guys look silly. And he's just so in the zone. He works all of those little quadrants in the zone, 5% walk rate. Where does that put him in the 93rd percentile in Major League Baseball? He's going to make you hit the ball, and he's aggressive, what I guess what would it be an ERA line that you would put him at next year, right? Because what I'm looking at back to back years of a mid threes expected ERA, like what is he going to be worse than that? I don't think so. No, I I'd probably set it right at three five, maybe three four, three five. I lean three five because two pitch reliance and he throws ninety two. I'm just I'm waiting for somebody to figure him out, and they. They just never will, it seems. I just don't know if you can. Like, I guess you could just start timing. Like, I think it's on steel. I don't know if there's figuring it out, right? Because it's not like, oh, just right with Blake Snell when he's off. Just take the curveball. Wait for the fastball. That's something that's an adjustment that you can make. How do you adjust to a guy who's consistently in the right. zone with these he two doesn't miss. that you just can't see? Like, I, and, you, and you can, like, I pay those have, guys. Yeah, he'll have his blow-ups because, like, any pitcher on planet Earth is not going to have a great day. But over the long run, I don't see why he can't just be a really solid pitcher for a very long time. Like, do I think he's an ace? Do I think he's an ace? Probably not. But also when we say, all right, mid-threes guy, it's incredible. The average ERA this year was like a 4-2. And it's, it's fantastic, right? Like I said, I keep bringing it up because I think it's important. Aaron Nola had a 4-4-6 ERA this year and just got 172 million at 30 years old. Like these guys are excellent. So when we say mid threes, it's a huge compliment, right? You'll find other podcasts who probably think Justin Seals a mid fours guy next year. And I just can't see it. No. Ready for mine? Yes. Um, we're gonna go to the best left-handed pitcher alive. You know it, I know it. His name is Cole Reagans of the Kansas City Royals. Cole Reagans finished this season with a 3-4-7 ERA and a 3.28 expected ERA. Post All-Star break, 71 innings, 2.64 ERA, 89 strikeouts and 12 starts. He averaged 6 innings pitch per start in the second half. He had a 26 innings pitched scoreless streak this season. So what the hell happened? He was traded from the Texas Rangers to the Kansas City Royals in the Aroldis Chapman trade. That's we got to make an episode just on players that have been traded for Roldis Chapman. It's crazy, but Cole Reagans might be the best of the bunch, and that includes guys like Glaber Torres. So you start throwing this bullet slider, and we use that term, and I don't think I've ever kind of explained it on the podcast. So the bullet spin, what we're talking about, it's a traditional gyro slider, but it's thrown with bullet spin, right? In other words, it spirals like a football, right? For everybody watching on YouTube, you can kind of see it. It goes like that. <laughs> 
What did that do? Generated a 40% whiff rate because he throws it at 87 miles an hour. He averaged 92.1 miles an hour last season. This season averaged 96.5. I saw it with my own eyes, him touching triple digits. It was must watch whenever Cole Reagans was on the television. He threw that bullet slider 165 times, one extra base hit. And now I want to say, oh, it's a pitch usage, you know, switch, right? I don't know what happened, dude. He upped his fastball usage by four miles an hour. Go to baseball savant. Every pitch was up three miles an hour. And the the common thing that I'm coming to is when you throw gas, you're going to do really well. And that's what Cole Reagans did. But maintaining that velocity deep into games. There was times where I swear to you, Jack, I was watching him and saying, this is the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. Find other lefties sitting 98 who can go to three different plus off-speed pitches. If I'm a Royals fan right now, I just feel like I found the needle in the haystack, the diamond in the rough. I am obsessed with what we saw this year. Now, can he maintain it? I have no idea. Could it be a flash in the pan? We've seen that in Major League Baseball before. These guys, like, I remember with the Yankees, Aaron Small went 10-0 and and then was nowhere to be found. How about Rockies fans? Remember Ubaldo Jimenez, who was throwing 99, looked like the greatest pitcher on earth? A couple years later, he's nowhere to be found. He's in the Orioles' bullpen throwing 91. Could this be Cole Reagans? Could be. But right now, I am enjoying the shit out of this. Go watch Cole Reagan's highlights. If you aren't really familiar with him, go watch them. DM me, and you and I are going to geek out about him because he's awesome. Dude, I when he was first on that stretch with Kansas City, there were so many people just on social media and like kind of hitting our line too. It's like, can you guys talk about Cole Reagan's? Who the hell is this guy? And I loved the conversation that you and Aram had with Pitching Ninja in regards to Cole Reagans, because, you know, he, he was put on to Cole Reagans, too. Everybody was put on to Cole Reagans. The only logical explanation I have for Reagans doing this was the UCL he got, like the new one with TJ, had to be from, like, a cyborg. Or, like, his ankle or wrist tendon was superhuman type shit. I think he took it from General Grievous in Star Wars. That like, you know, they gave him sense. another appendage with, like, another lightsaber? Yeah. That's what I think happened, because I don't know how else. I mean, Jack, he averaged 92.1 no. last year. I don't know. I he don't know. He was touching 100 in the sixth inning, people, from a lefty with incredible off-speed pitches and throwing it wherever he wants. Maybe it was, like, a, a Kikuchi sleep 15 hours a night before a start, or, like, maybe, you know, hey, a 5.30 coffee for a 7 o'clock first pitch. If a cup of coffee can do that for Cole Reagans, I I just need to know what that guy did to turn it on like that because he, he could turn my life around in like the snap of a finger. I agree. The only thing that stinks about a guy like Cole Reagans for the youth, right? We're talking about Justin Steele. You can make it throwing 91. But then you're like, yeah, but if you start throwing 99, like you're going to be the best. right? Like it's 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 as plain as that, right? And that's why the the story is so funny. He just went from a guy who threw low to mid-90s to a guy who's touching 100. All yeah. of his off-speed pitches ticked up, and he threw in a new slider, and now he's elite. Like, will it last? I have no reason to believe that it wouldn't unless the velocity just goes down. But he is the most exciting pitcher for next year for me. Like, he is number one. I cannot wait to watch him start his first couple go-arounds. I cannot wait.
there's a guy that is number one on that list for me, but I'm not going to get to him right now. I'm going to get to the, I'm going to get to him after I get to this guy, but I, I love that point because we want to preach the underdog story as much as we possibly can. But the easiest way to get really good in the major leagues is by turning into a freakazoid. And that's exactly <laughs> what Cole Reagans just did. It's like, hey, you know, it's awesome. But like, if you could be six, eight and jam, like you're probably getting a D1 scholarship. Yeah. Like if Kyle Browder starts throwing 100. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, this guy's going to be awesome. Like, yeah. but hey, you know what? We love a good can do attitude. Speaking of can-do attitudes, Bryce Elder of the Atlanta Braves is uh, that guy. Baseball savant hates him. And (laughs) if Bryce Elder threw 100, we'd be talking about this guy as the future ace of the Braves. And, hey, why did you extend Strider when you had this cat? But Bryce Elder turned 24 years old in May. He's young. He throws like he's 35. But guess what? He was 23-24 this year. He was a candidate to start the All-Star game for the National League. When the calendar flipped to June 1, he had an ERA under 2. If I'm not mistaken, he was leading the National League in ERA at the time. He and Sonny Gray were the two best in baseball. He was second in innings on the best team in baseball. He was reliable. It was Strider, then it was Bryce Elder. Tiny launch on the changeup and the sinker. I think average launch angle on the sinker was like 4 degrees. On the changeup, it was 1 degree. And then he went to the slider. Opponents hit 200 against it. He's a ground ball machine. Some ground balls got hit really hard, so it skewed the EVs. Yeah. This guy never got beat. Ever. And, like, yes, yeah, he, 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 got beat. After- he got He got beat a couple times. He came down to earth after the All-Star break. But, man, before the All-Star break, there was just something amazing about it. And I was thinking that Elder – I was Team Muller over Elder – I was team Soroka over Elder. I was team Ian Anderson over Elder coming into the 2023 season. And look at me now. I ate shit like Ed Walsh. Yeah, but it's kind of hard when the guy throws 89 and a half and it sinkers. I mean, pre-All-Star break, the dude was one of the best pitchers in baseball. 2.97 ERA in 106 innings. Post-All-Star break, 5-1-1 ERA in 68 and two-thirds. Okay, so if he's somewhere in between that, he's still a massive breakout. Yeah, no, no, he he was a, you cannot argue that Bryce Elder wasn't a massive breakout this year. I think we always have that discussion of he broke out this year. Is that breakout going to continue? Yeah. And he's a guy that I'm just dying to talk to at some point about the success that he found in his pitch mix, because there were times, I mean, especially earlier on the season, I mean, this guy was rocking the highest ground ball rate in baseball, you know, surpassing Webb, surpassing Fran Valdez. And it's because he was throwing the sinker wherever he wanted and the slider would work so well off it. And then the changeup was a great, you know, taste breaker. Four seam, you just probably shouldn't throw it, but like, whatever. Um, I really couldn't figure him out all season long. And then he started regressing in the second half. But at the same time, though, he's 24 years old, right? We're not looking at a guy who just kind of was always shitty and then came up and, you know, at age 30 season and just had this random breakout. No. Right in 2022, he didn't throw that much. 3170 RA. And then this year, full season, 381. Right? Is he a guy you build around? Probably not. But I don't know what the Braves' plan was before this anyway. So if I'm a Braves fan, it's just like cherry on top of the Sunday. We just got a guy who may not dominate, but if he can just have like a low four ZRA 
as your four starter, eat innings, give your offense a chance to win. What, what do you want anyway? What are you expecting? I think you can deliver that. So every nerd on planet Earth wants this guy to crash and fail. I'm not one of those nerds. I think there's something in there. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. And I can't prove to anybody out here that I think he's going to, you know, take his game to a next level, but there's something. I think he can be good in spots. My thing is just like, at what stop was he bad at any point in his career? His freshman year at Texas. And then, I, I don't know, like, I guess you could say Gwinnett in 2022, but he was a low fours guy. Like, he, he's never been horrible <laughs> in his career, yet no, if we brand him as bad because he throws 89. <laughs> yeah, it, that's that's just on us for uh, getting sucked into the to the velocities. But, I mean, could he have some sort of Kyle Hendricks arc? A Kyle Hendricks arc? No, I, Hendricks Why is not? one of a kind. I'm not saying he'll be Kyle Hendricks. Could he have a Hendricks arc, right? Could he pitch for 15 years in Major League Baseball? And you look at the end, and you're like, he had a 4-1 ERA in his career. Like, wow. So, yes, yes, but Hendricks, if I'm not mistaken, Hendricks won the ERA title in 2016. Like, yeah, but Bryce Elder almost won it in a half season. <laughs> yeah, if the season ended when it ended in 2020, Bryce Elder would have won the ERA title. And we'd be talking about him way differently. Jose Abreu. I don't think MVP. so. Do you remember the two guys that won the Cy Young in 2020? Like, we're not really talking about those guys as best pitcher in baseball anymore. Bieber. And? Who won it in 2020? The we're going to move off of that. Who's your next guy? All right, fine. We'll move off. Who won it in 2020, though? It was Bauer. Oh, yeah. All right. Um. All right. Let's go to my next guy. Michael King of the New York Yankees. Now, this is not your classic breakout, but what we saw towards the tail end of the season made me very excited for what Michael King could be. Now, who is Michael King? He was a reliever. Remember, he had an elbow injury that put him out for the Yankees for a long time. Comes back this season in August 29th. It's a pretty important date. It's the first time the Yankees let King throw four innings or more. He allowed three hits and no runs to the Detroit Tigers. He was always either an opener, an eighth inning guy, known as kind of the Yankees Swiss Army knife. You could throw him in kind of any situation. He wasn't their closer, but you could get him for two innings. But they were like, hey, let's see what you can do in the rotation. What did he do? 27 and two-thirds from that date on, right? Doesn't even include that four-inning shutout. 1-3-0 ERA, 39 strikeouts, seven walks. Came against the Red Sox, the Brewers, the Astros, and the Blue Jays. And there were a couple of outings there where I said to myself, in a must-win game outside of Garrett Cole, it might be Michael King right now. Seven innings, 13 Ks against the Blue Jays. Turns around another six-inning, one-hit shutout. He's a four-pitch guy, right? He's not this classic two-pitch guy coming out of the bullpen that just had like a little bit of a streak. No, he has four pitches that he can play and become a starter. That's why I'm bringing him to the breakout table. He's got a sinker, which is nasty, a sweeper, a four-seamer, and a changeup, right? And none of those pitches are alarming where, you know, some of the batted ball data, you got a little bit lucky. No, this was, I think, the beginning of Michael King becoming a legit starter in Major League Baseball. You're going to see him in the Yankees rotation next season. And it's so cool to see this arc, right? 
a guy who's more of a bullpen guy, gets injured, always had good stuff. They try him out on the rotation, and he just dominates from there, right? The Yankees are having rotation issues. With Luis Severino, we don't know what's going to happen there. Frankie Montas, the whole deal. Obviously, bring back Nestor and, and Rodon and stuff. But Michael King gives the Yankees, I think, a legit number three starter next year. Yeah, I wanted so badly to try and give you crap for picking a Yankee, but I love that you went this direction, and and I applaud you for picking Michael King because there are some other guys that are more by the book, breakout, sure, because King was a good reliever in 2022. But in 23, we uncovered a new layer of him that is way more valuable moving forward. And in a dream scenario of Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, Hal Steinbrenner, who we're hearing more and more from every day. Um, <laughs> it's Cole as the one, Rodon as the two, a free agent signing as the three, Nestor Cortez is the four, and Michael King is the five. So we're talking about a five as one of the five breakouts in the American League. And I say yes, because this guy was a setup man before that. Maybe not even Think- a setup man, a middle reliever before that. Exactly, but... I'd rather have him than Nestor next year. Don't tell anybody. Well, I need to get a month or two in to make that decision. We need more. What I'm saying is from what I saw, I believed in him. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm a Yankee fan, but you, you could say whatever you want. Like I, people know I've trashed the Yankees on so many different occasions. I will tell you when I like a guy. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I've been wrong before. I'm going to be wrong again. What I will say is I really liked what Michael King did. He has the pitch repertoire in order to be a starter. It's not, you know, it's not a high stress delivery, right? You see from some relievers where it's like, you just can't do that for six innings. It looks great for one or two, right? Like an Abner Uribe, right? With the Milwaukee Brewers, who we're going to talk about with some honorable mention in terms of relievers, right? He can't repeat that in a rotation, right? There are, Starters who become bullpen arms because their mechanics are all out of whack. It's an easy, easy delivery with four pitches that all work. And when his command's there, he dices through lineups. The strikeouts are there. The walks are not there. I'm very excited for Michael King next year. Yeah, King looked like a starter in the bullpen. And I think the excitement that Yankees fans get from King is exactly what the Cardinals were trying to bottle with Alex Reyes. Reyes was a starter in the bullpen, and he was a really good closer for half a season, three quarters of a season, um, because he was a starting pitcher. He had a four or five pitch mix in a one inning spurt, and now we're seeing it across six or seven from Michael King. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's another reason why I included him in the breakout status. It's really hard to do what you just said, to go from a closer. I know Alex Reyes was starter than back to closer. But he didn't do it. Exactly. Like, find me other relievers who are transitioned to being starters and have excelled to a one three zero ERA. It's not a huge sample, but he proved it. And it wasn't like, oh, well, he's just beating up on the A's. Those teams I told you about, the Astros, yeah. the Red Sox, the Blue Jays twice. Like, these are good teams that he was dicing through. Not just, oh, you know, five innings, two runs, five innings, three. No, like six inning shutouts with 10Ks type of performance. Yeah. It's going to be a really good pitcher next year. I I believe that. Number one on my pitchers to watch next year is Yuri Perez with the Miami Marlins. 
ahead of Cole Reagans and Yuri was the breakout. And you say, Jack, how can the top pitching prospect in baseball be a breakout star? Were you expecting a 19, 20 year old to do this? This guy had a 315 ERA, a 214 opponent batting average, a whip at 113 and 19 big league starts. Punched out 10 and a half per nine. He walked three per nine. His four seamer set 98. His slider had a whiff rate of 48%. Opponents were four for 41 with 20 strikeouts against his curveball. And opponents were one for 22 with the hit being a single against his changeup. Mm. Every pitch was gross. He's 20. In a vacuum on a pitch by pitch basis, I could realistically make the argument that this guy's like a top five pitcher in baseball on stuff alone next year at 21 years old. He's obviously not because you need to see the marriage of all of it and you need to see sustained success, but 90 innings at a three, one ERA when he's 20 years old, that's the start of something amazing. And I think that a hot take machine here, it's nine 47 in the DR. I think that Yuri Perez, you just watched the start of a hall of fame career in 2023. Wow. I'm smiling because I don't hate it, right? We just saw the dude get his feet wet at 19 to a what ERA, did you say? A 3-1-5. And there were times that the Marlins defense did him zero favors. Zero. I watched those starts. They did him zero favors. On a pitch-by-pitch basis, who was better this year? Cole Reagans. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, no, I I see what you're saying. I mean, of course, there was pitchers who were better on a pitch-by-pitch basis, but they were all 28. His fastball was 98. Again, like, his slider had a 50% whiff rate. Opponents hit 100 against his curveball, and opponents hit 050 against his changeup. I'm just shrugging my shoulders. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's just unbelievable. It doesn't just happen, Right. 19-year-old. He wasn't even supposed to pitch this year. But the Marlins were like, screw it. He's dominating in the minor leagues. Let's just see what we have. Then he comes up, doesn't miss a beat. God, he was entertaining to watch. He's so lanky. It's so, like, long. And All right, I'll stop. If he can stay Uh, healthy, I mean, we're. I'm telling you, we just saw a rocket ship take off. No, I mean, when we spoke with Pitching Ninja, we were talking about guys who – weren't in the Scion conversation this year, but will be. I think his third name he brought up was Yuri Perez when they could have gone to so many other guys. And when Arm and I were speaking to him, we just nodded our heads like, yep, we were all in agreement, no doubt about it. Yeah. If he won the Scion next year at 21, would and I wouldn't be surprised, would you? I'd be surprised. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be, be surprised. Floor. No. He'll be in that conversation next year. He's a good flyer bet. We'll see how many innings he throws. It's a good point. This guy, my next breakout candidate, Tanner Bybee of the Cleveland Guardians. It wouldn't be a breakout episode without talking about the guy that finished second in rookie of the year voting. 298 ERA, 366 expected in 142 innings. That 298 ERA led all rookies. I got this quote from Mike Chernoff, the GM of the Guardians about why he wasn't shocked about Tanner Bybee's first successful MLB season. And I quote, 
anytime a young player transitions to the big leagues like Bobby did, it's of course surprising just because it's so hard to do it. I think at the same time, the type of kid that he is, just how hard he worked throughout the minor leagues, this was like an unheralded prospect in college who gained four to five miles an hour of velocity in the minor leagues with us. Tremendous worker, put in all of the work in order to get the talent out. From that standpoint, it didn't surprise us that he excelled. But really, it's not easy to break into the big leagues and have the type of year that he did. Like Tanner Bybee was not supposed to start this year in the majors. He made his debut towards the end of April after making three total starts in AAA because of injuries to their rotation. Like Tanner Bybee was a high 80s guy at Cal State Fullerton but he is anything but a high 80s guy now. We talked to him on the podcast. He has Stay Verde written on his glove. The guy averages 95 miles an hour on his fastball now. 90% of his pitches held opponents to a batting average under 250. The changeup, which he throws 10% of the time, opponents hit 271. This is a guy that you have to buy stock into. Think about it. Pitchability first guy. He is the exact mold that the Guardians are looking for. Pitchability and will make your stuff better. So we already knew how to pitch. That's why he got drafted, right? But you take a guy who knew how to pitch in 89, you work with him, you get him up to 95, and that's what creates the great pitchers in our league. He's not a guy who throws 95, who they had to teach how to pitch. That's much harder. He was a guy in the high 80s, that they got him up to 95. Sky's the limit for him. Breakout candidate, for sure. No, I mean, this time last year, we were calling his ass Bibby. It was like, Bibby, Bybee? And then he makes his debut in, what, late May, early June, and it's like, oh, it's Bybee, by the way, and he's awesome. We were really lucky because he was following the podcast and and the social media stuff and the prospect stuff uh, last year. And you know, we saw what he was doing in high A and double A, and it was like, oh, my gosh, man, who is this cat? And then you realize that he has the velo jump. This year in AAA, he was ridiculous. And I missed him by, I think, a week coming to Indianapolis. I was so excited for the live look. But it turns out we could just watch it on TV anyways. In Worcester, I think he hit 99. This guy, again, was... 89 <laughs> at Fullerton and he hit 99 in AAA two years after that. So credit to the work that Bybee put in and uh, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun to kind of document that guy's ascension in the big leagues because it just got started. I just ask yourself, everybody listening, do you want to bet against a guy who works that hard? Like, do you know how hard you have to work to go from 89 to 95? Like those last few miles an hour, are the hardest to get for a pitcher. And now he's there, but he already knew how to pitch and he's in the guardians pitching lab. That's a guy to bet on, not against. For sure. Um, My next guy, and we'll, we'll speed it up because I think we've already had these people for an hour, which is nuts. Um, My next guy is, is another Miami Marlin. It's Braxton Garrett. He was just the reliable one of the group. And, we were so excited for the Marlins pitching rotation because Sandy was coming off of a Cy Young season and Jesus Lazardo. We knew what was in the tank. Yuri Perez was a top, you know, pitching prospect in baseball. There were so many other guys that you would list off before Braxton Garrett. 
And then he puts up a season that was almost identical to Lazardo. Lazardo threw more innings. Garrett limited more base runners. I'll tell you right now, I would have bet my life on Lazardo being the breakout on this list over Braxton Garrett. That's how much lower the expectations were for this guy. There were five guys that threw 90-plus innings for Miami. Of that grouping of five, he and Yuri were tied with a 1-1-3 whip. He missed qualifying, being a qualified pitcher, by two and a third innings. He threw 159 and two-thirds, got to throw 162 to qualify. He would have been fourth in baseball at 1.6 walks per nine, only behind George Kirby, Zach Eflin, and Logan Webb. That's what the Marlins needed. Like You could argue without Braxton Garrett, they're nowhere close to the wild card. Obviously, they're not there because Garrett was a netting positive guy and the Marlins only made it by a game. But you could argue like they're not a 500 team without Braxton Garrett if you replace him with Joe Schmo. They were blessed with the presence of Braxton Garrett, and they will be blessed with it moving forward because Trevor Rogers has now turned into a volatile piece and Sandy's out for the remainder of the year. And Lizardo, you have no idea when the next flare up is coming. Garrett's just like an anchor, man. And I didn't think we were going to be talking about Braxton Garrett as an anchor. No, Braxton Garrett was your classic command over stuff guy where the command never faltered. And you would turn on a Braxton Garrett start, watch him get out of the first inning. Maybe he allowed, you know, a base hit or something. And then he struck out a guy and you're like, all right, looked okay. Then you take a short nap and it's the sixth inning and he's allowed one run. And he just lulls you to sleep. He doesn't get out of what he wants to do. And that's what I always think is so impressive with guys who don't throw hard. They don't try and be anything that they're not. Like Braxton Garrett knows his stuff. He knows what works, knows what doesn't. And a pitcher who knows himself like that, who doesn't have terrible stuff, he has fine stuff, but he's able to throw it wherever he wants in the zone. Like that's a that's a good pitcher. Like he was consistently solid throughout the entire year. You could put your head on the pillow at night and say, Braxton Garrett's starting for us. We have a chance to win. It's a very valuable pitcher. And I see no reason why I can't do it again, right? There's nothing in the underlying metrics would say, oh, that was a flash in the pan. No way. Like there's some concerning stuff just because this stuff isn't electric. But if he can keep commanding the ball like that and doesn't get out of his own approach, he's going to be very successful. I'm with you. Your last guy? My last guy? This might be the most obvious breakout, and we had to go to the reliever side. On August 2nd, 2022, the Twins trade for all-star closer Jorge Lopez from the Orioles ahead of the trade deadline. Right, I think it was August 1st, whatever. That's when this article was written. Yeah. In exchange, the Orioles get Yanir Canel, Cade Povich, Juan Nunez, and Juan Rojas. Yanir freaking Cano with the Baltimore Orioles. In 2022, the guy had an 11 and a half ERA. He could always strike out a decent amount of guys. Strikeouts were never his game. The problem was he had a 16 and a half percent walk rate. This season, 2-1-1 ERA, 3-2-5 expected. Strikeout rate up, walk rate down from 16 and a half percent to 4.6%. So what happened? Well, the sinker and the changeup went to new heights, right? Sinker averaged 95.3 in 2022, 96.3. Throwing it way more, tons of movement. The launch angle against that pitch was negative 10. 
try getting it in the air against Yanir Kano's sinker. You couldn't. Change up. We all know how nasty it was. But did you know it gained velocity? Lost spin, but generated a 9% higher whiff rate, up to 40.5%. Every single one of his off-speed pitches, 37% or higher on the whiff rates. The sinker gets you to ground out. And if you're down 0-2, he's going to give you the changeup, and you're going to swing and miss. Arguably baseball's best reliever. Unbelievable. Especially for a guy who's now 29 years old. If he didn't have a good season this season, he would have been out of baseball, arguably. And now the Orioles, with no Felix Bautista for probably all of next year, they have their closer etched into the roster spot. His backstory is nuts. If you haven't read, you know, X amount of feature articles on Yenier Cano, I would go do that. Great stuff on The Athletic, great stuff on Masson, pretty much everywhere you get your Orioles coverage. I bet it's on his Wikipedia page, too. But if you don't know this cat's backstory and, like, how many times he was, he could have been dissuaded from being a big league reliever, like, dude, I I said it when he was on that crazy stretch. I think he, what, went first month of his season without allowing a run? Yeah, in April, in April, 11 innings, no runs, 12 hits. The first time he allowed an earned run was on May 19th against the Toronto Blue Jays. So he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 straight appearances without allowing a run. Yeah. So I, I said it at some point during that. I watched Yenier Cano throw several innings for St. Paul in 2022, and I thought this guy was just not good. And now look at him. It's amazing baseball. what a year can do. This is baseball, man. Like any other sport, you can ID who the good ones are. But it's just a little tweak, especially for a relief pitcher. You just need one thing, and he happens to have two in that sinker and the changeup. I mean, if you compare it to basketball, it's like a guy who shot 19% from three and then shoots 45% from three. Okay, it was just a complete like, 180. So who you just described is Tyrese Maxey. But like Maxey was a first round pick. Maxey was a Kentucky kid, was a five star. Like he had the athleticism. You have to do so much more. But in a big league bullpen, you got to do one thing really well. And he just figured out the one thing he could do. And he did it. Like this yeah. guy went from a two star to Tyrese Maxey. Credit to the Orioles for just figuring this out. Yeah, man. Right? Like, hey, throw this sinker more. It's actually nasty. Pair it with this changeup. Yeah, Orioles man. reliever lab is just it's one of the built tops different. in baseball. It's built different. My last guy, Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Holy shit. Andrew Abbott punched out 36 and walked three with those tack balls in double A. Let's give him the bump to AAA. Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Oh, wow. He punched out 54 in seven AAA starts. Okay. Let's see what this guy can do. Lodolo's hurt. I think Green's hurt. Ashcraft wasn't stinky just yet. What does he do? Six innings of one hit ball in his major league debut. Then shutout appearances in St. Louis and Houston. He allowed runs in his fourth start, but he punched out 10 and walked nobody. He normalized, of course. But Andrew Abbott was the number 10 prospect in the Reds organization by MLB Pipeline coming into this year. 
to leading all red pitchers in war and leading the rotation in ERA and FIP. Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, my ass, man. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Do those three have higher ceilings than Andrew Abbott? Sure. Do they? Yes. Probably. Green throws 102. Lodolo is nuts. And yeah. Ashcraft throws a 100-mile-an-hour sinker. Yeah, that's a good point. But somebody was on the hill whenever they needed him to be, and somebody was really successful all year. And that was Andrew freaking Abbott out of nowhere. Another guy. You're just like, how do you how do you do it? Well, because he doesn't have like incredible command, right? He had a 10% walk rate this year. But the guy is just nasty. Like his changeup is nasty. His sweeper is gross. Opponents hit his curveball this year. But when you look in some of the underlying data, hitters got very, very lucky off the curveball. They didn't against the sweeper. Opponents hit 174, changeup 203, fastball 249. Like a guy throws 50% fastballs at 93, and opponents didn't do anything against him. We had to do a deeper dive in Andrew Abbott. Like he's very hard pitcher to understand why he was so good, other than the fact that his stuff is just, I guess, nasty. That's when I watched him. Like I, when you watch Andrew Abbott, what were your big takeaways? My takeaways, I, I'm sitting there watching like he's got to be, it's got to look like it's the same pitch coming out of that hand, right? The release yeah. point just looks I, like there was, you couldn't really see it and then it would just disappear on you. It looked like hitters were confused to me. That would always be my takeaway that they were confused up there. Yeah, I thought it was very steel, but in. You didn't have the was... command steel had though. No, I know, I know. Um, the the way that I kind of viewed it was like, okay, clean mechanics for a short guy, but he extends well. And I don't know if steel technically extend, extends well if you go on Savant, but like Abbott does. And I, I think it just jumps on you. And the fastball just jumps on you. And with those tack balls, I mean, it was spinning out of control and the IVB was crazy. And, you know, he was, he was just getting whiffs galore. But my favorite thing about Abbott's season is he proved that he wasn't just a tack ball merchant. There were some guys that started the year in double-A that were truly tack ball merchants, and he just was not that. Um, I thought it was incredible, man. And, like, there's something so reassuring about Braxton Garrett and Andrew Abbott when you have so much volatility in that Reds rotation. For every Hunter Green, I want an Andrew Abbott. I know, and the reason that, you know, I really want to do a deeper dive on him. Like when we play general manager for the Cincinnati Reds and, you know, talk about his long-term future, like June, he put up a one, two, one ERA bursts onto the scene, 29 innings, allowed four earned runs and three of he allowed three home runs. So really like if you limited the home runs, he didn't allow a run July three, three, one still dicing through people, August and September back to back months with an ERA over six. Like, what do the Reds have here? It's very hard to know for sure, but he's a tough one for me. He's a tough one because he he's not he's not a guy that you see very often where it's it's not 95, it's 93. It's I don't know, he's a tough one. It's tough. Um all right, you got guys that you think missed that should have been noted because i've got like five at each league 
No, you can go ahead. Um, because we were talking about it. You, you named a lot of the guys. Like I was like, is George Kirby a breakout? Not really. Um, there was a couple of relievers that I thought oh, the potentially could be breakouts, but not really. Uh, yeah. So just go through the guys that just missed for us. Yeah, so Kirby and Logan Gilbert, depending on how you look at them, um, like Gilbert, we were expecting to take a big step up, and he did, but maybe a bigger step than you were anticipating. Kirby, same exact deal, staying in Seattle. Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. People didn't know who Bryce Miller and Brian Wu were before this year, but they weren't you know, to the caliber that Peter's five guys were. Tyler Wells fascinated me because Wells was so good before the all-star break. And then he just ran out of gas because he hit his innings limit or he hit his career high and, you know, was optioned. It was shut down for a little bit. Bailey Ober was another one, but I have to see that again. Logan Allen in Cleveland, I thought was great. And Logan Allen had a really rough go of it at the end of 2022, but you knew it was in the tank. He was, you know, I think he was a first round pick, maybe a second round pick, but he had first round talent. So um, he's just another guy to kind of throw in the stable with Bybee and Gavin Williams. And then Tyler freaking Holton in Detroit. That's the other reliever. I guarantee you there are still people listening to this podcast. Who's Tyler Holton? That's out of nowhere. Tigers. Out of nowhere. He was awesome. So was those awesome. were the AL guys. NL guys, Josiah Gray was an all-star. Josiah Gray finished with like a 3-9, but... Josiah Gray was like the worst qualified pitcher in baseball or not qualified, but he was one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball in 2022. And he took a massive step forward in 23. Bobby Miller was needed badly this year for the Dodgers and he delivered. And then three relievers, Tanner Scott with the Marlins, but Scott has been around for a while. And this year he was just amazing. Relievers are so tough. Like he just had like a two one ERA this year. You're just like, is he going to continue that? I have no idea. And I wish I could Andrew give you a Nardi. prediction. I have no idea. And yes. Nardi too. Same with Nardi. Uh, nobody knew who Abner Uribe was coming into this year, and now he looks like the closer in waiting behind Devin Williams. He throws 102 with a crazy slider in Milwaukee. Uh, and then if you didn't know Kevin Ginkle, you learned who that was in the postseason. Like Tyler Holton had a 2-1-1 ERA in 85 innings for the Tigers. He was great. He's great. Like Bryce Wilson, I thought could be added. Bryce Wilson, no man, he had a two five eight. No man. Also, there was a couple of guys that I was like, I just want to talk about you, but you're not like a breakout candidate. When Tarek Skubal of the Tigers came back great. from his injury, dude was unreal. And another guy that I considered, but I was like, do we add you, Javier Assad with the Cubs? Like he did have a 305 ERA. I just it's hard for me to jump on that and say, yes, that's that's a breakout here. And that's that's the tough part about this, right? Like Joel Piamps, another guy who was just awesome for the Brewers, 255 ERA. Like there was a lot of guys where I'm like, yeah, you had a good year. Did you break out though? Like I, I'm pretty confident that Bradish broke out, that Bybee broke out, that Michael King broke out, right? That Yenier Cano is here to stay. But there was a couple other guys who had good seasons, right? Because that's what we're also kind of trying to do here. Did you have a good season? And do I think that that can continue? Or did you just have a good season? And I feel pretty confident, right? The only guy that I'm really not sure on is Abbott. And you could consider Bryce Elder in that conversation. But I still think Bryce Elder is going to be fine. 
I don't know if Andrew Abbott is going to be fine, but he could be. And I'm excited to see you next year. And we're going to talk about all these guys as we continue here on the Just Baseball Show. And that'll do it for this episode. That was Jack McWill and I'm Peter Apple. Go get your merch in the Just Baseball store. Can you? Can you please? Can you please do that? We'd love it. Um, and if you could rate us five stars, whether it be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that'd be sick. That'd be awesome. And I really, really appreciate it. Leave a written review. How about on YouTube? Hit that subscribe button. How about the like button? What about the comment button? All of those buttons you don't have to pay for. Imagine if you had to. You don't. It's all free. It takes you eight seconds. Just click the button. Less than eight seconds. We'll be back on Wednesday. Hopefully you enjoyed the Monday episode. That's Jack. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you.